Good morning. I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 11 for the fourth and final time. This is part four of this message section. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of the blue Bibles located underneath the seat around you. Turn to page 1016. That'll bring you to our text. While you're turning there, uh, I would just uh, have a quick announcement. Mike Snyder, he's back in the corner with that beautiful white hair right there, right there. He didn't want to come up here, so that I said that's okay, but I just want to announce this is his last Sunday with us. He's heading back to Ohio, where his wife is, and um, had gone earlier to set, set up a new place for them, and now it's time for him to, to head back, and, and Mike has been a faithful servant during his time here, and we will definitely uh, miss him, and uh, pray that the, the Lord would bless him there, and maybe be able to find a a home to fellowship in, a ch- good church to fellowship in, and, and be a blessing there and be blessed. And Mike, we will miss you, and we do pray the best for you. Okay? And if you're ever back, we hope you'll stop by and say hi to us. So, First um, Peter 4, 7 through 11. Let me read the text. Do a little bit of review. And then we'll try to pick up where we left off. If you were here last week, we left off with the, the matter of loving, loving one another, and I do want to come back to that. Such an important exhortation and topic, and I just want to make sure we're fully understanding uh, all that Peter is trying to communicate there. So let's begin in verse 7. I'll read through 11. The Apostle Peter wrote, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So just a little bit of review. Um, Christ Church has an important and most urgent mission. We are the Church of Christ, our local fellowship, the body of Christ here in North Montana. Their king, our king, Christ, the king of kings, could return at any moment. His return hangs over us. That is the the way to understand the end of all things is at hand. And when he returns, he will bring his righteous judgment upon the world and establish the glorious kingdom of God on this earth. But only the redeemed, the reconciled, the justified, the sinner fully forgiven of their sins and declared righteous by faith. Only the one saved by God's grace to the uttermost through the divine person and saving work of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, will be allowed to enter into this glorious kingdom. So we, the church, 
while we can, must strive to make Christ known to this world, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our family members, to our co-workers, those who are lost and who are currently outside of this kingdom, for they are not citizens of this kingdom, for they have yet to bow their knee to the king. We must strive to walk as Christ walked and testify of him, both by word and by deed. We must preach the gospel. We must work together to spread the good news of Christ to everyone. Yes? We must make it our aim to make disciples of the king, who will in turn then make more disciples of the king. That is our our goal. We are to be a disciple-making church. That these disciples might spread the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost world. A world that is living on the edge, on the brink of the king's return. Very, very important matters before us, beloved. Very important task, very important mission. And we need to keep focus because we lose focus so easily. So easily. We get sidetracked. So in light of that mission, in light of that knowledge that the end of all things is at hand, Peter lays out some exhortations for the church. Church has a mission. It needs to be busy doing that mission. But in order to accomplish that mission, (laughs) it needs to thrive, it needs to be united, it needs to be focused, it needs to persevere. So Peter Peter lays out some exhortations here in this text in light of that mission, in light of the fact that the end of all things is at hand, that the king is ready, all things are ready for the king to return and rule and establish his kingdom. And so we are to live in the following way. And the first exhortation he gives in light of that fact that the end of all things is at hand is that we are to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers, for the benefit of our prayers. As I've already said, it means we are to think clearly and maturely and correctly and soberly so that when we pray to God, we might pray more appropriately, that we might lift up the lost, that we might lift up our local church body, that we might pray that we would be strengthened that we would strive to be holy, that we would be confessing our sins before God in our prayer, that we might live Christ out before this lost and fallen world. Certainly, we are to, uh, to pray for all of our concerns and bring them before our Father who cares for us, right? But as I've said multiple times, sometimes our prayers are, are not all that they should be. In light of the fact that the end of all things is at hand, we limit them to just the temporary. So we might pray for a job, which is appropriate, that God would give us work, that we might be able to provide for our family, but we stop short, forgetting that the end of all things is at hand, and we don't add to that prayer, and Father, help me to be bold in the workplace for you. Help me to make Christ known. Help me keep my eyes open. 
Father, if I'm sinning and living an unholy life in any way, be quick to reveal that to me because I want to display Christ to these people. I want them to see his beauty and not my sin. So Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The king is ready to return and rule all things are ready. He stands at the door. Stay focused. Next, in verse 8, we covered this last week, most of it. Looking again, this is all review. He says, above all, most importantly, you local churches, that's who he's writing to, local churches, the body of Christ spread out around the world. Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. You might remember if you were here, loving one another, it's a mutual love. It goes both ways. It it is to go both ways. It flows in both directions because we need to to give this kind of love and we are going to need to receive this love because people will offend us and we will offend them in the body of Christ because we are far from perfect. We are, uh, as I said last week, we are stumbling saints, as the song goes that we sing here, beautiful song. We're still, we're still being sanctified and changed and transformed. And there are glimpses of that and that, that we see in, in the body of Christ and brothers and sisters in Christ. We see that, little pictures of Christ, and it is beautiful. But we, we also see in each other a lot of the other stuff, our sinfulness, and it's not beautiful. It's downright ugly. We are to keep loving one another earnestly, Peter says. And you might remember I said that There are other ways to translate that deeply, intensely. One version says keep loving one another at full strength. Where to even the word includes a a constancy. Intensity and a constancy are the idea there. The picture, the word pictured, the Greek word, the underlying Greek word, word, Pictured uh, the taut muscle of a strenuous and, and sustained effort as of an athlete or a, a horse at full gallop. It's love one another at full strength to the max. And again, remember who it's directed to, who the letter is written to, to brothers and sisters in Christ and local fellowships. It is, as I said last week, a pedal to the metal kind of love. And why why are we to love one another this way? Why does Peter say, above all, maintain this earnest love for one another? Well, as I've already said and alluded to just a moment ago, as one writer puts it, the idea that love covers a multitude of sins means that where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. We are to be readily overlooking and forgetting the small offenses of others, and others are to be readily overlooking and forgetting our small offenses. Okay? 
You know, this, this, this exhortation certainly makes sense in light of what biblical love is. And we've spoken about this so many times because love is just a word thrown all around in the world and it's completely devoid, really, of what, what the Bible says about love. It's, it's something else. It's the same word, but they define it differently. They mean something different than what the Bible means. A good definition of love is found in 1 Corinthians 13. And there Paul is writing to another messed up church who lacks love and is on the verge of destroying one another because of their lack of love. And remember, the end of all things is at hand. The church has a mission. The church is busy destroying one another. They're not certainly accomplishing their mission. Yeah? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 5, just a couple of verses from that section, love is patient. Right? Do you know that word actually means long-suffering? I've said this before. I uh, used this passage at a, a wedding ceremony. Amira's, actually. And uh, when we think of patient, I think we just think of, you know, waiting for our Big Mac through the drive-thru. But the, or our popcorn to pop in the microwave. Uh, but patient here actually means long-suffering, suffering long. Love suffers long. For the sake of others, for the sake of the church, for the glory of Christ. Love suffers long, and it's kind. It's kind, and it does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It means it's not proud or puffed up. Boy, that's, that's a problem for us, right? Because we are, tend to be proud and arrogant and puffed up, and honestly, that is the root of many of our problems, one with another, How dare you not love me like you're supposed to? How dare you? Puffed up, arrogant. It's not right that the other person didn't love you, but it's our attitude towards that, right? In arrogance and in pride, we approach it like you just just spoke against the king of kings, and you're the king, right? I mean, but biblical love is not arrogant. It's not proud. It's not puffed up. It may be insulted. It may be offended, but it's kind. It's long-suffering. And because it's not proud or arrogant, it doesn't get into a frenzy. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not self-serving. It's not irritable. It's not You know what that means? It's not easily provoked or angered. Beloved, are you easily provoked and angered? Well, it depends on the day, right? Or a week, I don't know. But biblical love, if we're loving one another this way, in the power of the Holy Spirit, I told you last time, this is the only way to do this. I don't have the ability to to love you like this in my own strength. In my natural fallen man, I am irritable. I am proud. I can be rude. Patient. 
right? Long-suffering. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, these things are possible and commanded of us. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. Uh, It's not up there, but verse 5. The Greek actually says this, just in light of, I'm, I'm reading this to you in light of what we just read, love covers a multitude of sins. It's not resentful. The Greek literally says it does not count up wrongdoings. It does not count up wrongdoings. Uh, another translation says it keeps no record of wrongs. Or another puts it this way, it does not keep track of other people's wrongs. So this is where the church starts to become weird when they don't love one another like this. They don't, they, don't, they don't love to the max with biblical kind of love. And so we, we in, in, in various little ways, do wrong one another. Beloved, we do. And instead of letting love cover over a multitude of sins, instead of, of uh, being kind and patient and not irritable, uh, we're all of those things, and then we keep a mental list, a mental list of how we've been wronged by a brother or sister in Christ. And that destroys fellowship. Because that makes it hard just to be together. It makes it hard to serve alongside one another. It seems like those things always rise to our minds if we keep a list, but love keeps no record of wrong. Now, I said before, I'll say it again, I think, I think this is more when Peter's saying, love one another earnestly, for love covers a multitude of sins. He's thinking primarily of uh, sin of omission or, or not doing what we should do to one another, not loving one another as we should, which we fail to do that, not, being, not caring for one another as we should, not being kind to one another always. You know, I, don't, I don't think he's thinking of uh, the idea that if uh, someone strikes the other one in the face or something, becomes angry with them and physically assaults them, that you shouldn't, you, you're going to need to reconcile with that brother. You're going to need to say something to them. You're not just going to say, hey, love covers a multitude of sins, and it's all, it's all fine. Just do whatever you want. Beat me over the head. I don't think that's what he's talking about. It's all that little minor stuff, offenses that go on. And I tried to illustrate it, but it was poor. I said, we're like sandpaper because God hasn't smoothed us out completely yet. So we have, all of us has, have a variety of, of sandpaper on us. Actually, we just are sandpaper. And so as we, we walk along, we rub up against each other. Ow, 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 you know? Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. We're just, we're not all, we're not all that we will be. We're not what we once were. Glory to God. God is changing us. But uh, he's still changing us. Uh, He's still changing us. This is why we long for the Lord to return and bring his kingdom. Because with his kingdom, glory, his glory, and our glory, he glorifies us. We're made like him perfectly now. Sin is removed. Oh, my. So we just need to keep that in mind. This 
this instruction, this exhortation doesn't cancel out other exhortations in the Word of God or our commandments or instructions. We need to keep them in balance. So, for instance, in Matthew 18, 50, where it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And the the passage goes on, because if he refuses to listen, you bring back a few witnesses. If he refuses to listen, you bring him to the church. If he refuses to listen, you put him out of the church. So there is a place for that, to do that. But there are so many minor offenses that you don't need to constantly keep bringing them to your brother or sister. You can just cover them with love. Patient, kind, non-irritable, non-record-keeping love. One writer says, this teaching does not preclude the discipline of a sinning, unrepentant church member. And we see that in Matthew 18. We see that in 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul says, put this man out of the church. And he committed some heinous sins, some sexual sins. He was uh, in the church. Put him out. He doesn't say, hey, it's all right. Love covers a multitude of sins. It wouldn't apply to this. It means specifically, this here in 1 Peter, that a Christian should overlook sins against him if possible. And Always be ready to forgive insults and unkindness. This kind of love, as one writer says, promotes the peace and harmony of the brotherhood, of the church, of the local church. It promotes it. Well, who cares about the peace and harmony of the local church? I care. Do you care, brother and sister? Do you care? You should. (laughs) The strength of the local church and its mission is at stake. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, love one another earnestly, deeply, intensely. For love covers a multitude of sins. You're not yet perfected. You're going to wound one another. You need earnest love for one another. Maintain it. Keep doing it in order for you to stay together, to be tight, and to be focused, and to stay the course, for the end of all things is at hand. And uh, I love the idea of covers, you know, when you think about that. Think of that, just picture that idea of covers covers. So, uh, my brother here, I was trying to figure out who to pick. <laughs> my brother, maybe I sin against him. I am, I am unkind in some way to him on any given interaction, you know? Can your pastor be unkind? Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, because he's a sinner being saved by grace too. Uh, if I were to continue to do that, then you should remove me from the pulpit. But, Do I fail? I do. So if he's applying this passage, and instead of getting all worked up in arms and maybe even making an issue of it with me because it was a minor thing, he takes his blanket of love and covers over it. So now when I come back to my brother, it's not even there. It's covered. See, this allows him and I to continue to partner in ministry side by side without there being any issues because he's just covered. It's a minor offense. 
It's covered. It's gone as far as he's concerned. He chooses not to recall it, to keep it on a list. He just lets it go. He looks the other way. As I told you before, if we were to to bring up every offense to one another, we'd probably just spend all of our time doing that. (laughs) Because we're messed up. We need to be gracious with one another. And I was thinking about this. Think, the world. Think about the world. So this is very different than the way the world approaches these things. When the world, someone in the world, someone not with this knowledge and understanding in the Spirit of God that enables them to do such things, when they are sinned against, well, they may react in a variety of ways, and many of them may be ungodly, unholy, dangerous, but they may also not confront. They may choose to do that, but not, not because uh, love covers a multitude of sins, just because it's too uncomfortable. But they haven't covered the sin. It's still fresh and right there in their face, right? They haven't, they haven't put it aside. They're still keeping record. They're still keeping track, which causes them then to disassociate themselves with the one who has offended them. Yeah? They, they, cut, they separate themselves from them. Beloved, that cannot be in the church. Because then it would just be a matter of time before there was nothing else left of us. We'd all go our separate ways. And yet this happens. I am telling you as a pastor, it breaks my heart. People leave, people have left here over minor things, over minor offenses that they allowed to just build up. They didn't allow love to cover it. It ate at them. They became bitter. It became their focus instead of the mission that we have as the body of Christ. They could think of nothing else. And of course, then... It makes it very difficult to partner with other people or partner with the body. Peter knows what he's talking about. The Holy Spirit gave us this word. Above all else, maintain an earnest love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. You with me so far? What's the next exhortation? 1 Peter 4, 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. (laughs) Be hospitable is another way to put it to one another. Okay, that word hospitality. We've talked about it before. We covered it when we went through Romans. But just remember the context here. I continue to bring you back to it. The end of all things is at hand. Church, local church. You have a mission. So he lays out in light of that these these important exhortations concerning prayer, concerning our love, and now concerning hospitality, which is another expression of love. But I want to tell you what the word word means again. I want to remind you, maybe you've never heard, you weren't here for the Roman series, but there is a word that you've heard a lot lately, especially 
within the current uh, political realm. Xenophobia. Have you heard that? Xenophobia. Trump has been accused... Oh, yeah. President Trump has been accused of xenophobia because he wants to build a wall and he wants to keep out people from the Middle East, so on and so forth. According, this is what you said. Yes, have you, I just want to make sure you've heard that with me. Xenophobia. Okay, xenophobia basically is fear, phobia, of strangers or foreigners. That's what the accusation is. He has a fear, or the person being accused of that has a fear, and therefore they don't want them around. Well, the word hospitality here, okay, and xenophobia is actually X-E-N-O-P-H-O-B-I-A. That's how you spell it. You with me? All right. The word for hospitality is P-H-I-L-O-X-E-N-O-S. P-H-I-L-O is affection or love in Greek, and X-E-N-O is the same, it's the same word that we use in xenophobia, it's strangers. So hospitality, xenophobia is fear of strangers, the Greek word here, translated hospitality, is love of strangers, or being friendly to strangers, or those you don't know. You with me? So remember that when you think about, when you think about, when you read it here in the scriptures, primarily it's affection, affection for strangers. And in, specifically in this context, what the way they would have understood it is like this, is affectionate concern for strangers that expresses itself in offering them food and shelter. That's how, that's how that affection or love for the stranger uh, manifested itself in, in providing and caring for that stranger when they would come into your town by giving them a place to stay and giving them food to eat and even, even maybe helping them along their way, giving them some resources, maybe finances or whatever, or some food for the road or clothing. Yes, you get it? So that's what it means. That's what hospitality means. In fact, one translation puts it like this, welcome others into your homes without complaining. (laughs) So what's the context, okay? The church is on mission. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, show hospitality to one another without complaining. Why? Why was that important? It was a necessity. Listen, it was a necessity for the early church. And therefore, its practice was highly valued. And I'll get to that in a moment, why it was a necessity. It was such a necessity that one of the qualifications of the leader of a church, an elder, a pastor, such as myself, was that they must be hospitable. If they are not, they are not qualified to be an elder. Right? So if they're going to be leading the church, they need to be leading the way. And if they're going to be telling the church show hospitality, they themselves should be exercising hospitality, affection, love of strangers. Yes? In fact, I have, I have a, a, one of the things we do is, you may not know this, but when we have our elder meetings, we go around the room and 
we kind of talk to see who have you had that you've never had into your home this last month. That's part of our deal. We want to make sure, hold each other accountable, that we are continuing to exercise this responsibility to show love for folks we don't know. We've never had them into our home and to bring them into our home. And, you know, it's interesting because one of the, some of the feedback that we get is people telling us, I've never had another church do this. I've never been invited into the pastor's home or an elder's home or which is sad to me, which is sad. But we are, striving, we are striving to be what God wants us to be and to model it for you. One writer says, without its practice, that is hospitality, the early missionary work of the church would have been greatly hindered. The church is on mission, right? Yes, for a time we are here to make Christ known. All things are ready for him to return. His return is at hand. So we need to be busy about the work. But in the first century church, that work, wouldn't have, that work would have been hindered greatly if it were not for hospitality. Why? Well, as men and women went out, missionaries went out, it wasn't like today, man. They didn't have a, a whole host of places where you could lodge. And if they did, many of them were first expensive. And it wasn't like the the church was rich. In fact, a great deal of the church was not rich, poor. They didn't have a lot of resources, but they were doing all that they could with what they had, and they were focused and on mission, and they were making Christ known. So as they went from city to city, and they got there, where would they stay? They needed the church that was there or brothers and sisters in Christ that were there to open their homes to them. That was one issue, just the expense. But the other issue, probably even more important, was a lot of weird things, sinful things went went on at the lodges in the first century early church. And that's similar in some ways to some of the hotels and stuff that we have today. But even more so, pagan practices associated or going on. So the Christian didn't want to be a part of that. So where would they stay? They needed the church. They needed the people of God to open their home to them. Furthermore, one writer says, hospitality was necessary in order for the church to meet in various homes. Okay? To meet. Guess what? It wasn't, or I'd say, yeah couple centuries. For the first 200 years, there were no separate church buildings. There was no Heritage Community Center or Jesse Turner Center or lobby in the hotel that you could rent. Okay, so for the people to gather together. So where would they meet? They would meet in people's homes. And so these, someone would have to open their home or a bunch of someones would open their home and invite these strangers in. Now, we have a place to meet, so I guess we don't have to practice hospitality. That's not true. We are still in need of hospitality, maybe not to the same degree for the purpose of advancing the mission of the church that the first century church did, but 
We don't have a place to meet for our growth groups so that we can study the Word of God and grow in the knowledge of God and be motivated to live for the glory of God and to make Him known. So we ask people to voluntarily open up their homes and allow strangers in. In the sense that they don't know them, they're not their friend, they might be brothers and sisters in Christ, they may not be, but we ask them to open, and they do that, and we're, we're thankful and grateful for that. So we still need hospitality. We don't have a baptismal tank here, do we? So in order to be baptized, we've got to find somebody with a jacuzzi who will open up their home to strangers and all the liabilities of little kids falling into the pool and be willing to do that. So that we might continue to advance the cause of Christ, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Lord, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You see? Hospitality is still very important. Peter adds this, that it's to be shown to one another without grumbling, without complaining. Well, why might that happen? I don't know, beloved, you know, a bunch of strangers in your house <clears throat> with uh, all kinds of uh, different opinions about, I don't know, how, how, how you live in a house and walk in a house, or maybe they're not paying attention, or maybe because they're not, you know, thinking so much or concerned about you and more concerned about themselves, they're messing up your house, right, because they're self-centered and self-focused, or maybe they just don't even follow your simple rules that you have for them, and, or they, you know, accidentally, not intentionally break stuff, or maybe intentionally, boy, that would be not good either, like a kid, you know, so he says, listen, do it without complaining. One writer says, without resenting the time and, and expense or sacrifice which may be involved. And that would be a real temptation. It remains so for us. Don't cave into the temptation to complain or grumble when showing hospitality. The end of all things is at hand. You're all worked up about your place. Keep it in focus. That doesn't mean I don't care. You know what? I don't let them do whatever. Rip it all apart. I mean, the end of all. No, I mean, you may have to live there for a lot longer. And you'd like to not have glass all over, broken all over the floor. And you'd like to keep that carpet lasting for a while. So you ask people to take off their shoes before you, you come in. Fine. But if it's so, if this is everything to you, then you'll never even open your home. And if you do, You'll find plenty to probably grumble and complain about, and you'll do it because you haven't heard Peter's exhortation, and you are not keeping in mind the the fact that the the end of all things is at hand. So in light of that, show hospitality to one another gladly. That's the idea. Do it cheerfully. You're going to need the Holy Spirit to do that. And then you'll have to repent when you don't do that and then go back to the Holy Spirit and trust in Him. All right? Finally, or almost finally, 1 Peter 4.10, as each has the end of all things is at hand, so he's dealt with prayer, he's dealt with love, he's dealt with hospitality. Now he's just going to deal generally with service in the church, serving one another. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Peter doesn't go here into a, a, a detailed list about the different ways in which the body of Christ serves one another. He just says generally, hey, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Notice a few things. Each has received a gift. He's speaking to the body of Christ, to local churches, not some people. So for those of you who have received a gift, 
Use it to serve one another, because I know there's a bunch of you who haven't, so you don't have to serve one another. He doesn't say that, as each has received a gift, because First Peter knows that the Holy Spirit indwells the believer, and the Holy Spirit gifts the believer to serve the church. So, it's not some people, it's every person in the body of Christ has been entrusted by the Holy Spirit with at least one gift, with at least one. And again, gifting can be teaching, exhorting, serving, helping, and all the ways that it's done. He uses the word stewards. Use it to serve one another as good stewards. You know what the definition of stewards is? That is a manager or overseer, not an owner of a household. That would be the way it was understood. A manager or overseer, not the owner of a household. Responsible for taking care of or looking after that household. So he says, as good stewards. Be a faithful steward. What's the point? Use the gift God has given you to properly serve and care for the household of God, the local church where you find yourself and you have partnered with. Use your gift. The end of all things is at hand. Use your gift to serve one another in that local fellowship. Be a good steward. Don't be a bad one. Use it to a, don't just sit on it. Use it to assist them and help them and minister to them in all the varied ways that that takes place in a local fellowship. The idea that people would come and come and just the only participation they have is just to come here and sit and listen. But, but now if they're not a believer, then it makes sense. And you're welcome. Keep coming until you give your life to Christ. But if you're a believer, a follower of the Lord, it makes no sense for you that your participation would only be here on a Sunday morning listening, and then that's it. You're being served, you're welcome, but you're not serving. And we have a mission, and we need you because the Holy Spirit has gifted you to build up this body in one way or another, that we would all be strengthened, encouraged, exhorted, motivated, kept on track to stay the course and make Christ known. You see? Again, it's, not a, it's about Christ. Ultimately, it's, all, it's about Him. But He has chosen to make Himself known through us, and we're a mess, and we need all the help we can get. So if He's brought you into the body, serve that Body. Ah, yeah, yeah. I got to finish. Uh, one writer says, Peter's imagery depicts believers individually as stewards ministering to the needs of the household of God, the church, with the means that their master has entrusted to them. I just, you know, all of it goes back to God. <laughs> he put you in that body. He... He sought you out, and by his grace, he brought you to himself. He gave you eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that could believe. He granted you repentance that you might turn to him and bring yourself under the king. Then he brings you into the body of Christ. And then, get this, get this, at your birth, at your new birth, he regenerates. He gives you the Holy Spirit, the powerful Holy Spirit. Why? 
So you can say, I got the Holy Spirit. No, that you might be empowered to live for him. And part of that living for him is not you by yourself in your house, just you serving God. It's you in fellowship with the local church, partnering with them, giving yourself to them, for them, that they might make the one who saved them known. Yep. Yep, I'm going to go fall down right after this is over. So remember, the end of all things is his hand. Don't sit on the gift God has given you. Don't just come to get, but come to give. Partner to give. Come to be a blessing and help your local church. Be that all that it can be for the Lord and fulfill its purpose on this earth. You know, just think about the whole picture. All right, so I'm loving, I'm loving earnestly, so love covers it. All right, little offense here or there. It doesn't stay Come on, let's stay on track. Boom, covered. All right, come on, let's go, let's go. Let's stay with it. Let's stay on course. Come on, let me encourage you. Let me, let me strengthen you. Let me help you. Oh, I'm going to need it in a moment because I'm going to mess with you in a second. I can just feel it. And then I'm going to need you to come cover it. And now let's get back together. Let's keep praying, praying as we ought to. Let's keep doing this. Let's stay on mission. Praying, loving. Hey, we got some people coming in or we need, we need a home opened up so we can continue to feed the people the word of God. They might grow. Need some hospitality. The end of all things is at hand. Stay focused. Stay on track. All right, and then finally, looking back at the text. This is just the... uh, He says this in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. And then he says, listen, whoever speaks is... He's just speaking generally here. Whoever speaks the speaking, you know, speaking gifts like teaching, preaching, exhortation. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So he divides the various gifts here that God gives to Christians to be used for the benefit of God's church into basically two functional categories. Speaking gifts, such as, like I said, exhorting, teaching, and serving gifts, which Giving, leading, mercy, helping, as we see defined in other uh, places of the Bible, such as Romans. He just divides them up, right? And uh, one translation of this part, I like it better, is the NET. It says, whoever speaks, let it be with God's words. I think that's a better way to understand that. Whoever serves, do so with the strength that God supplies, so that in everything God would be glorified, honored, magnified through Jesus Christ. Speak with God's words, right? Speak with God's words. Uh, using, our, using speaking gifts to minister to others, as one person puts it, means that the one speaking, such as here, me, right now, endeavors to speak God's words as revealed only in the Scriptures. Not, you know, just magically coming into my mind from somewhere and me trying to convince you these are God's words. Right here, he has revealed himself, and I am to use his words to make him known and exhort his church and encourage his church and teach his church and strengthen his church that they might make him known. (laughs) So one writer says, how easy it is to think that we can assist others with our own wisdom. But those who are entrusted with the ministry of speaking should be careful to speak God's words, to be faithful to the scriptures. And that is why intentionally our middle name is Bible, Summit Bible Church. This is what we want to bring to you. And those who teach it 
or teach or speak for God should be teaching this and nothing else. Not their own wisdom, please. God's wisdom. That's not going to do me any good, your wisdom. But God's wisdom will empower me to live for him as I ought. Direct me, guide me, yes? And then he says, serve with the strength that God supplies, right? Serve with the strength that God supplies. So, again, you got speaking uh, gifts and serving gifts. He kind of just lumps them under those categories, functional categories. And so, similarly, those who minister to serve others or or those who minister and serve others must not rely on their own strength. So, I'm not relying on my own words. I'm relying on God's words. I'm not relying on my own strength. I'm relying on God's strength. I must minister, you must minister with the strength that God provides. That's the only way you're going to do it right in a way that honors Him and where it comes out good, where you won't get burnt out if you're ministering with His strength, relying on Him to carry out the task that He has asked you or commanded you to do. And so this uh, was helpful to me. He says, when those who speak utter God's words rather than their own, and those who serve do so in God's strength rather than their own, God, through Jesus Christ, receives the glory. God receives the glory because he is the one who has provided the wisdom and strength for ministry. The provider is always the one who is praised. If human beings are the source of wisdom and strength for ministry, they deserve to be complicated. I mean, complicated, yeah, that too. Complimented. But if understanding and energy come from the Lord, he gets the glory as the one who empowers his people. And this whole thing is about Christ. As we're trying to direct your mind back to him. The king is at hand. Live for him. His glory is coming. Do it all to him. In his power, in his strength, using his words. And finally, at the mention of Jesus' name, that he says there in verse 11, when he says, through Jesus Christ, I would just say, Peter can't help but break out in praise. <laughs> That's what you see here at the end. This is a praise, a doxology. He closes this section. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And dominion, beloved, that's power, authority, control. Remember how he started this section. The end of all things is at hand. Our king is coming. It is near. All things are ready for him to return. We will see his glory displayed, his power displayed in a way that we have not, that we long for. That was his focus. That's what drove the exhortations to the church. What is your focus, beloved? Is that what you're thinking when you walk out of here? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, I must pray appropriately, love one another in this body earnestly, or love covers a multitude of sins. I must show hospitality without complaining, cheerfully. I must serve the body here with the gifts God has graciously given me. I must do it well in order to make Christ known for His glory is about to be displayed. I need to let people know For all who have not called upon him in saving faith will not enter into that kingdom. But rather they will be subject to the power of his unstoppable wrath. I must make him known. I must make him known and I must must work in this church 
to help my brothers and sisters in Christ that we together, collectively, as one, might make him known. Brother, will you come up and lead us in our time of remembrance?